You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Everybody, welcome to the launch cast episode 103 entitled Keeping Families Close. I'm loving it. It's the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast in the world. We're talking leadership, we're talking business, we're talking life, and we're talking growth. And we're doing it all today with my guest and my good friend, Mr. Matt Campo. What's happening, man? Good morning, George. How are you? Thank you for being here, man. I I appreciate it so much. I'm so excited to have you on today for for so many reasons. Uh, One is that today is... I guess it's our holiday show, which is pretty cool. Sure, right? awesome. So, so we're live today on our holiday show, and I couldn't be more excited that, that we get to talk to somebody who, in terms of giving, I value what you do so much, and it's, it's the giving season, and it's so important for us to acknowledge how important that is. I'm going to give a brief bio on you about the podcast. Matt is the Chief Executive Officer at Ronald McDonald House Charities New York Metro, which used to be Ronald McDonald House of Long Island, yes, right? Yeah. Attached to the uh, Cohen's Children's Hospital campus. Uh, the mission of the Ronald McDonald House in New Hyde Park is to keep families with sick children close to each other and the care and resources that they need while their children are being treated in local hospital facilities. The house provides the parents and siblings of these children with a temporary haven in a secure and comfortable environment among other families sharing a similar burden. I'm going to jump right in and ask the first question that I ask of all of our guests. Are you a leader? I think I am, yeah. Yeah, talk about that for me. What What is a leader to you? What's your definition of a leader? Uh, see, I, for me, I think in, in the organization that I have the benefit of being with, uh, I'm only a leader because people follow me, right? So I, I think that my general motto tends to be surrounding myself with amazing people. Mm-hmm. So at RMHC, that is absolutely the case. Yeah. And then I think doing what I can to, to make them shine, which I find in turn turns around and really makes me as the leader shine. So it's it's like this magic recipe. It's uh, it's the team. Yeah. 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 And, it's and the I, team. It, for some folks, I think it sounds almost cliche. Oh gosh, I give them credit. Oh gosh, they give me credit. It's a giant love fest. But um, in the end, that's really what it's about for me. Yeah, but that that's kind of what this is really all about for for. People, you and I have had this conversation before. People that um, are a certain type of leader, a servant leader, right? Um, it, it's it's so funny how it just turns out that way. Where the people that you surround yourself with, you know, them being leaders as well in their own right, they tend to come together in this cohesive team that sort of creates magic, right? You know, and I've seen that 
so many times at the Ronald McDonald House. So I'll tell everybody here that's not aware, I met Matt when I became a member of the Speakers Bureau at the Ronald McDonald House of Long Island, or New York Metro now, a couple of years ago. And, you know, I've always had an interest in the Ronald McDonald House from back early in my career. We used to do toy drives for the the house in the city. You know, it, it was just always close to me. But a few years ago in my life, you know, when, when I came upon a time where a close friend of mine was sick and at Cohen's constantly, I became a lot more aware of what you guys specifically do. And so when I sort of got to a certain point in my career where I had the ability and resources to be able to help, it was it was a no-brainer that I wanted to jump in with, with you guys. Yeah, and that's so appreciated. And, you know, we see folks that come to us for, for all different reasons and, and all different ways of wanting to help, but you have just gone so deep as it relates to your personal commitment. So that's really just so appreciated. No, and and it really, people should know that it's a reflection of the leadership in the company and not just you, sure, everybody else sure. in that organization is so wonderful to deal with. It's kind of incredible, you know, every time <laughs> you walk in there. So, you know, it's funny because I was looking at sort of the anthology of your life, right, yeah. in terms of yeah. what you've done professionally. And you just, you're wrapping up your 10th year at RMH, right? Yes, I am, yeah. And in the order of events, you started there as the Director of Development and Communications? Yes. So what was that about? What kind of role was that? So, uh, you know, I started out as a frontline fundraiser for the organization. The organization was very, very different in, in a number of different ways, in leadership style, in budget, um, in resources, and the amount of families we were serving, and the amount of bricks and mortar we had at the time. So. Um, coming into the organization as their first sort of director of development and putting together a plan uh, that would would grow the organization first from the perspective of of income, of fundraising, right? Yeah. I think was uh, the catalyst for my success there. Yeah. Um, And then from there, I was given just additional opportunities to show how how we keep this thing moving forward. Yeah. You're talking about a budget of 1.7 that's now going to be over five. And you're talking about staff that's almost doubled. You're talking about families we're serving now in both counties that has almost quadrupled. Right. So it's um, it's been an, an awesome recipe. So so what was the, uh, I guess, what did that first year and a half look like where you went from that director of development to becoming the executive director in late 2010? Yeah, so I think it was a time of almost turmoil. I think the organization was really searching for leadership. When I was given the opportunity to lead, um, transferring my skills from a director of development role to really an executive director role, I was the fourth executive director in five years. Wow. So if you can imagine, um, it was just a different organization. I think the board at the time was really looking um, for someone that was going to invest in the organization and I think um, was looking for someone with the right amount of leadership skills um, not just management skills, right? right? Those two things can be very different. Sure, sure. Well, that we, we talk about that a lot on this show, the difference between a leader and a manager. Sure. And, you know, it's kind of funny how uh, over time as you develop as a leader, it really becomes very apparent what those differences are. Yes. And, and I guess you have to – and I don't know if this is the way you started or not because you were – um, did you do fundraising previously? For, yes, I've always yeah. been a frontline fundraiser. That's one of the that things was your... I've always enjoyed. So working with a, a, several nonprofits here on Long Island um, was able to, to have some success in that. Yeah, so I tend to see in leaders that I deal with, especially when I consult for companies, in order to grow their leadership skills, there's that moment where they kind of realize 
oh yeah, I'm being a manager right now and I'm not leading people. Was there a specific moment for you where that happened? I think there was, and, and it was sort of the, the, the transfer um, as I built the team um, and really recognizing in myself uh, where my strengths were. And so I'll be completely honest and transparent with you, right? Um, I think there was a point um, as I put together a leadership team that I realized my strengths were more in that leadership bucket than they were in that management bucket. Right? Oh. So obviously every leader has to know how to manage. Sure. Right? You have to know there's an entire organization that, that sort of funnels up um, to me as the CEO. Um, but I had to put people in place that, had, that complemented those leadership skills that had some of those management um, tools. Sure. Um, so I think it was probably in year three when I became... Um, when I went from executive director to the president of the organization and was really able to bring on some support staff uh, that was able to give me some more of the structure we needed in the organization. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's so important to, to recognize that because you, you really use that to grow in the organization and to grow the organization itself sure. over the years. Um, and so you became the, the executive director in late 2010. You became the president of the organization in 2015. Yeah. Was that just due to the growth that that position changed? I think so. It was really, you know, we've been through really three sort of uh, restructures, if you will, within the organization. And again, that all ties back to the, the, that leadership piece of recognizing um, when you need to make changes, when the people who got you where you are, are not necessarily the people that are going to get you to where you're going. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. So really, there were three key points. I started out and inherited an organization that, that was a very, a very no-centered organization. You know, everybody in, in, in the organization went, well, we have an idea, but no, we could never do it this way. We could never do it that way. So really changing that culture um, and building from that point, to, no, we can do it. We're going to be a yes organization. We're yeah. going to figure out how we do new things and different things and bringing people people into our family and into the fold. So, um, and then there, there was really that, that second phase where we reorganized, we recognized we had great people, some of them were in the wrong roles. Mm -hmm. um, and I became the, the president, really as, as a nod from the board um, that we were doing the right thing. Yeah, and, and it's important for the audience to, to understand here that this is honesty and leadership that we're talking about here. You've mentioned a few things where you admit the faults of the organization, sure, sure. you know, before you went on and, and as your journey continued, and obviously you try and work on those faults. It really takes a true leader within a business itself, I'm, I'm talking right now, within a business or organization. It takes a true leader to analyze those faults and to recognize them in order to correct them, to correct the course. Because what happens is when you don't recognize the faults or mistakes that a, a company or, or a person is making, how can we really grow yeah. at that point? And so I think that has a lot to do with the success in your leadership. And guys, this is what this show is about. I do this to show everybody this journey that we've all gone through as leaders. Every person that I put on this show, you know, you started somewhere and we'll talk about that. You started in a certain place and right now you're the CEO of my favorite, one of my favorite <laughs> nonprofits in the world. I have to include my own sure, um, sure. Uh, Shannon's fight that I co-founded, but that journey to get there, that was a regular man's journey. You went through things sure. that every single human being goes through. You went through joy. You went through heartache. You went through a lot of stuff in that journey. And that has all led to today. 
really. And that's what we want to show the audience sure. members, that sure. there are some people out there that are not leaders yet, but they can be. Well, and I think to your point, as you talk about the honesty and, and, and the journey and, and really the, the self-reflection that a leader needs to be comfortable with in order to make some of these changes, you have to acknowledge the risk, right? Yes. You have to acknowledge that um, when you identify those, those areas, uh, you, you got to think big. And yes, it is you do. absolutely risk, and you gotta you gotta then get everybody on board with that risk and that change, and and, and comfortable in that environment. So, um, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's, it's a journey. Yeah, and to show people what that journey was about, I'm going to talk a little bit about where Matt came from. So, you actually started your education at the U, right? Yeah. The University of Miami. Yeah, you were sure. a hurricane. Coral Gables, Florida. Yeah. Legendary college, legendary, and so. You actually were a musical theater major. Uh, you know, not a lot of people know that. I am a classically trained vocalist and musician um, and performer before any of this began. Yeah, what the hell, man? <laughs> I think the story there goes, I wasn't, I, I couldn't cut it, you know? <laughs> so, so talk about that. The reason you went into that must have been a passion, right? And it really, and that's where it has remained, yeah. truly. Um, my passion has always been performing arts. I've always enjoyed uh, that, that piece of it. But the reality is, I think I, I recognized very early on after getting a degree in musical theater that, um, that there were going to be certain things I could take from that degree that were going to be helpful in, in, in this career, um, but that I wasn't going to necessarily make the make the cut. Sure. What you do with that, with that, that experience and that knowledge that sometimes helps you to become the leader that you are sure. now or the person that you are sure. now. So talk a little bit about the effect that musical theater and your education in musical theater has had on you uh, across your career in life. Well, I think, look, the, the pieces that I were, was able to take and to, to infuse into my own leadership style really much of it involves that, that aspect of performance, yeah. right? I mean, the, the, the piece of what I love about what I do is really being the face of a tremendously successful organization with a really pure mission. That's, that's who I am. Yeah. Um, and I think as part of that, I, I need to fit into a number of different molds. I need to fit into that management mold, that leadership mold mold, um, that, that relating to donors mold, that, that understanding how a board works. And, and so the reality is what I pulled out of that education um, was really the, the, the way I'm able to, uh, to change the way I behave and the way I act, yeah. if you will, yeah. in these different yeah. environments. Do you still have any involvement or any side love for that? We just finished um, our our Christmas production at my at my local church, yeah. Experience Church in Bethpage. I'll give them a shout out. It was three shows over the course of the last weekend. So yes, I still actively perform, um, and I'm engaged in that environment. Um, but it, it is a passion, and I do it when I can. Yeah. Instead of um, it being my my life and my career. And we'll talk about a little bit about that later. You mentioned the Experience Church. So you continued after after your time at the U. You attended LIU Post for Arts Management. Yeah. Right. Was that yeah. a master's? Again. Yep. Yeah. And that just sort of all went into that uh, that performing aspect. Uh, you know, when you're young, you don't always know what you want to do, right? And so you got got a performing arts degree, and then I. I said, well, maybe I'm just going to become, I'm just going to manage the aspect. And that's where LIU came in. Yeah. Um, and again, 
you pull different things out of an education like that. So sure. I think that for that, even though I was managing the arts specifically, um, been helpful. Yeah. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Typically, the way I do these interviews is we kind of go chronologically yeah, through sure. through the guest's life. But I do want to spend a fair amount of time covering the organization itself and talking about the history of the organization. Yeah, sure, so sure. I want to jump to that for a minute before we get back to you. So RMH, right? The the organization itself. Talk about what the organization and the mission of the organization means to you. And additionally, what drew you specifically to RMH? Yeah, so I think at the time that I got involved as, as an employee, but obviously um, I've, I've become um, part of this organization. It's my life mission now. It's my yeah. legacy, ultimately. Uh, but really what, what drew me to it, I had a young family at the time. So I think that that's one of the things that drew me and really one of the things that, that, that draws anybody into what it is that we do. Because um, at the core of it is family. Yeah. And I think um, at the time I looked at my young kids, I thanked God that they were healthy. Um, but the reality is that what the organization does is just so meaningful because I think it, it's, it's, it's helping families and helping kids and um, at a time when they really... Um, are, are, are down. Yeah. In terms of what has happened, what has transpired over the course of your career there, what does the organization look like now versus in 2009? 2009. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does it look like now? I, you know, we've just been in a, in a, in a tremendous pattern of growth and and so that 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 looks like expanding programs we've gone from our 42 bedroom facility that in new high park that really used to be our identity our, yeah. ha our house was our identity um we have grown to become a regional chapter which means we are we are helping kids throughout the new york metro area um, we also have programs underneath our our organization in Suffolk County, we've been able to expand there to family rooms, to hospitality carts. So you're talking about helping 800 families a year 10 years ago to um, helping 6,000, 6,500 a yeah. year now. Um, that's big. And that's the, that's the thing that's really so pure about all of it. We just want to help families. There's no other agenda. Yeah. We want to find as many of them as we can and meet as many of their, their needs yeah. while they're going through this. Yeah, it's incredible. One phase of growth that the house has had was when you guys had expanded from 18 to 42 sure, rooms. Sure. So what year was that? So it was just, it was before my time. Before your time. Um, but, you know, it, it speaks to the, the need for our services, the need for what it is that we do. You know, an 18-bedroom facility at the time was turning away hundreds of families a year. Um, that's a heartbreaking thing. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, even with 42, have to sometimes wait list families and and almost triage families depending on where they're from and the seriousness of the of the illness and we work a lot in partnership with our hospitals to make sure that we're providing um, for those needs uh, but you know that that was that was a necessity at the time we yeah. had to add those other 26 bedrooms to, to meet the needs of, of our families and now we see it in Suffolk County we see it at Stony Brook Children's, the family room is a thousand square feet. Yeah. And it's serving 3,500 families a year. Imagine if we had a, a, a Ronald McDonald house there. Yeah. So that's really been the, the, one of the main One of the goals. Is, yeah, which we'll goals. talk about. Um, and so in 2011, that's when Project Design 
happen? We renovated the entire facility, all 42 bedrooms. Yeah, so I want you to speak. I want you to speak a little bit about that, but I want to preface it by saying that this house, and and maybe we'll we'll talk about uh, this part of it first, um, the the business part of how this organization works. This house is not funded by a corporation. This is not, a lot of people hear the name Ronald McDonald or McDonald's in the name Ronald McDonald house and they have this misnomer that McDonald's funds your entire operation. And that's not all true. I don't want to say at all no, true. No, no. McDonald's There's is a, piece is a mission, of mission yes. partner for sure. Of course. But the, the relationship um, with McDonald's tends to always warrant some explanation. So I sure. think that people, and, and you're right, that is. Uh, popular misconception, but our relationship with McDonald's is, is is very. We are a local organization or a regional organization. Our relationship with McDonald's is also in that vein. Mm-hmm. So the owner operators that are here in the New York metro area are really our partners. They're on our board. They're helping us fundraise. But McDonald's corporate supports a a international system of houses, and they do that through through uh, the employees and the resources at that level. Sure. Um, you know, I often say to people, one company could never support 380 organizations. I'm a mid-sized organization, um, but our system, some of our houses are, are 140, 150 bedrooms. Yeah. No one organization, no one company could be expected. Could sustain to that, right, sure. That. So, um, but to your point, we are a locally funded organization uh, that's really beaten the pavement trying to come up with um, that $5 million a year. Right. And so the, the giving aspect of this, this guys happens on so many levels, whether you are an individual that wants to volunteer, if you're an individual or a family that can donate to help the house out, can donate your time on a bigger level. In terms of volunteerism, there's so many things you could do, and we'll get to everything later, but at the house... You can volunteer to work the front desk. You can be a speaker and give tours. You can come in and cook meals for the families. Just about anything. You could do fundraisers alongside the house that they'll work with you on events. But corporate giving is what I really wanted to focus on here. And we'll get into project design. But corporate giving, you know, for me as a business owner, I've come to a place in my in my career where once my, my company became semi-successful to the point where we can actually give back a little bit, it sort of became a responsibility to get out there and, and give back because you build and build a company and that's great and you know, you're supporting the people that work for you and, and your clients and everything. But at the same time, if we're not helping out, we're the leaders in, in a community, in a region in terms of commerce. And so if we're not helping out as business owners what the hell are we doing here? Sure. You know, and so I wish that other business owners would sort of step into that mindset and realize that you could build your business in a way that you build that into it. You know, you build in your corporate giving initiatives into what you do on an annual basis. And if you plan and budget the right way, you could do business, you could make money, and you can feel good at the same time sure. and do good things. And so I really want to impress that. Um, upon business owners, and, and this isn't a plug of any kind, but if anybody needs help with that, please reach out to me, you know, because I can help steer you on that path in order to, to sort of um, set that up for you, you know. Um, but back to the house now. So a major thing that happened for the house in terms of corporate giving was project design. It was a two-year really renovation of all 
50,000 square feet of our new Hyde Park facility. And the thing that I think was special about it was not only did we continue to function as a Ronald McDonald House throughout, throughout both phases of the renovation, um, but we did a $5.5 million renovation over the course of two years that was completely pro bono. It was completely donated in kind. So we did that through the design community and, and engaging um, big companies in that industry like Kravit, Fabrics. We um, all, all, you know, they were one of the leaders that helped us really assemble all these designers to come in. Each designer took a space and completely overhauled it. So yeah. we have some of the most amazing yeah, you spaces. Do. Yeah, you do. Um, and, and I'm not, I know I'm biased, but um, they really are very special. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a first-hand witness to that. I go around and give tours to companies and individuals that volunteer at the house, and I get to see these different rooms, different themes, and everything. They're beautiful. You know, coming in as a family of a sick child and being in an environment that sort of sparks positivity, even in the smallest way, that's a big deal. The feeling that an individual gets, and I can't even imagine working in it every day because it must be so huge, but the feeling that an individual gets just from being in that environment, it's life-changing. And in terms of health, at least this is my belief, when you have positivity and those those good vibes, it helps, it man. It all plays into it. It sure. all plays into a recovery in terms of health. I came in with a group, I remember last year through my company, Launchpad 516, we did the Meals from the Heart program where we came in and we cooked dinner one night. And man, I will never forget that experience. And I'm so happy that I was able to have my children there with me to help out and to sort of witness what giving feels like. We came in, it was like 12 of us, and we yeah. cooked a huge meal and it was fun and we're laughing and you know we start sweating a little bit as we're getting closer to six o'clock and we're not <laughs> ready and, and we were a little bit late, but, but we put a nice home-cooked meal on the table of chicken cutlets, mac and cheese, baked potatoes, yeah, sausage and peppers. Yeah. And the coolest part was when everybody started lining up and they're coming up to the you know the buffet area that we set up and the appreciation yeah. that those people had for just a nice home-cooked meal, a little bit of positivity in their lives. You know, to see a, a family smiling like that, that's that was worth everything. It's an me. amazing way to come in and really touch and feel what it is that we do because yeah. we do get to see um, the gratitude in our family's faces. Yeah, and, um, it's it's breaking bread. Yeah, it's food. Right. Th that, mean, that's that's you know. that that is the the the, <laughs> the probably the the most intimate thing you could do. Right. With somebody is to break bread with them. Mm -hmm. In yeah. my opinion. No, no, I agree. And guess what, guys? It is it's the holidays. Damn it! You have to donate your time your any any money you have i mean just get there and do the thing because if we're not giving back at this time of year something's wrong right this is the time for giving the triad of of everything happens this week this is christmas this is hanukkah this is kwanzaa this week sure. it's all happening right now the launchcast is sponsored today by the leadership experience a coaching masterclass intentional unconventional thoughtful leadership from keynote speaker ceo nonprofit board member and tedx executive producer george andriopoulos hey that's me guys the music's getting louder and it's epic which means this is something you shouldn't miss registration opens on december 15th and we are beginning january 15th this music is so loud that means it's amazing join us the leadership exp.com for details you don't want to miss this 
So what I noticed, Matt, is as this house has transitioned, as this organization has grown over the years, you as a leader have also grown in so many different ways. And we've talked privately about um, this moment, but if, if you would be so kind as to share this a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about a pivotal moment in your life, which was in 2016 when you had a moped accident. Yeah, yeah, on vacation. I was, um, my son and I were on a, a moped in Key West and we were hit. And it was, it really was a very pivotal moment for me personally. Um, there was, he was all right. I was injured um, significantly. Um, but it really became um, the catalyst for a lot of change in my life personally. And you, you can't help but have that type of, of personal change relate to your professional life and, and your leadership. So. so in terms of that personal change, I mean, you've made it no secret. And I think it's so brave of you to talk about this as somebody who myself, I've always struggled internally with, with weight issues, but you've made it no secret that um, you had a weight problem back yeah. in the day, right? Was, yeah, it was pretty significant. I was uh, over 300 pounds. Um, I was unhealthy in a number of different ways. Um, and I think that for, for me, that accident and what transpired after that really helped me understand um, that my struggles with weight were, were very much less about my need to change and more about my need to transform and, and really finding ways of changing how I think yeah. in that vein and what I think of health and weight. And really it led me to a, to a, a self-care journey that was just remarkable. Um, it, it, it turned into from being over 300 pounds to losing 130 in less than a year um, to beginning a exercise regimen that I, I love that it has become a tremendous, tremendous passion. I am an avid runner. Yes. Um, which I never thought would, would, would be in my world at 300 pounds. Uh, but it really helped me to understand uh, that if you don't change the way you think, and, and listen, so many people think that self-care is, gosh, oh my goodness, I've, I've had it. I need, I, need, I need to take time for myself. I need to, I don't know whether some people hop in the bubble bath or some people grab a drink or some people, but I think the reality is that it helped me understand self-care is kind of ugly, right? Sure. It's, it's, um, it's keeping the spreadsheet to get yourself out of debt and, and, and sticking to it. Yeah. It's getting up at 5.30 and, and strapping on the shorts at, at, at 250 pounds and hitting the pavement and sweating it out in a workout that nobody really wants to do. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that was all part of why now I am a different person in a very big way physically. Yeah. I, I, I understand very much where you're coming from with that in, in a number of ways. Um, you know, I, and I've made this no secret. I've gone through a couple of transformations in, in uh, the last 10 years, in the last 15 years of my life from the standpoint of a weight transformation. I went through that. You know, I had gotten up to close to 300 at a certain point. I was like Shoot. 290. Yeah. yeah. And I had a major weight loss back in 2005 that was, you know, semi unhealthy the way I did it. But, you know. <laughs> It got me there. And that struggle since then, that fear, that trauma of going to a tuxedo place for my cousin's wedding in 2005 and getting measured and the tailor telling me uh, that I have a 42-inch waist. And I go, no, no, I'm a 36. 
And he goes, no, you're, you're 42. And I go, the jeans I'm wearing right now are a 36. He goes, no, why don't you take... No, they've been stretched to a 40. <laughs> he goes, take a, take a peek at those jeans. And so I lift them up, and it was really the first time I realized that they were so outstretched. <laughs> It was like a rubber band on Isn't its it last Isn't funny the way end. jeans do that? Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so that trauma of remembering that very moment is something that I replay in my head over and over, over the course of the last 15 years of my life when that weight is starting to get out of control again and I have to sort of clean sure. it up. So it's a constant battle and it's really a, a balance, which we'll talk about a little bit, but it's really a balance to sort of maintain that mindset. And it really is a mindset. It is. That will keep you in in a healthy place in your life, in all aspects of your life. So true. So you had told me a a while back, and and I hope I'm connecting these dots the right way. This was sort of a a cool intersection of your professional life and personal life in terms of this weight loss. Because you had told me that when you got back from from this accident, you were laid up for a while, right? Oh, I was laid up for um, several months. Several months. Ribs, I had broken bones. um, And... And you know, over the course of that journey, without even trying, I think because, probably because of, of, of the, the, my need to sort of just slow down. And, and I came out of the hospital, I went back to work, and um, those jeans were a little bit looser. <laughs> a little bit, um, yeah. So I think I may, may have lost like 20 pounds. So I think it was enough that um, even though I was still in the high 200s, um, it, was a, it was noticeable. Right. And I think that um, the intersection became that my staff and, and, and my, my family at RMHC yeah. really recognized, well, gosh, maybe this is an opportunity. Um, knowing my struggles with weight, knowing my, my, my burning desire over the course of the, the, the eight years or seven years they knew me um, to, to change that piece of me, uh, they saw it as an opportunity to come alongside me and, and help me continue that weight loss. So they all bought Fitbits at the time, and they bought me a Fitbit for my birthday. I remember the, the, the trip where I, where I was, was hurt was in May. I came back towards the end of June when I had a birthday, and um, they gave me a Fitbit, and they say, we're gonna do this together. Yeah. Look, at, look, Matt, you've lost 20 pounds in this accident. Maybe you could lose another 20. Um, they helped to create the monster that I am today. And yeah. then I just started walking. I just started getting up at 5.30. And yeah. then I started thinking, well, gosh, I'm not sweating as I speed walk at 5.30 in the morning. Could I even run? And I downloaded a 5K app on my phone. And I would run for two minutes and almost pass out. <laughs> um, and then from there, it just became something that... Um, that transformation started setting in. Yeah. I started really taking a look at things in a different way. But that RMHC family helped me to do that. That's a team, way. man. It's that's a team. a team. I and I hope you understand you're not the type of person to toot your own horn, but that's a testament to your leadership. Sure. I hope you understand that. Sure. That's a big deal. That's who you have surrounded yourself with on your team. That is the way you have built the culture amongst your team. And these are all qualities of a, of a leader that are so important and they're so hard to attain. These are the qualities that you can't teach in leadership. You can't make people like you. That's something I learned very early on. I went through that transition in my career of being a manager versus a leader. And I was the worst, the worst manager ever back in the day when I first started in my professional journey. And I sort of needed that to understand that 
once I could figure out who I really was, who George actually is, which took me a long, long time, that people didn't like these other versions of myself that I was putting out there, the leader and the boss and, and the manager and I'm in charge. And, and when, you, when you don't put that out there, when you put your authentic self out there as a leader, people accept it. Authenticity, being genuine, you know, and, and really, you know, really investing in people. You know, I think for, for me, it's about, people are smart, right? I surround myself with smart yeah, people. Yeah, you do. I have to. Um, but the reality is that you surround yourself with smart people and, and they recognize integrity, um, whether it's at the, the, the job or whether it's in your personal life, they recognize when someone's being genuine. Uh, so you can't, you can't surround yourself with smart people and then try to fool them. No, um, no So you I can't. just think that that's part of what, what has been the success of, of the, the formula. Um, you know, those smart people and yeah. really being a very genuine person with integrity, yeah. um, whether people are watching or not. That's important. Comes That's out. important to remember. And that authenticity, especially in what you do, because what you do and the, uh, I want to use the word persona, the persona that you have to exude at, at all times. I mean, you have to be on a lot as the CEO of, oh, the, yeah. of RMH, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to be on a lot. And so if that person that you are in front of your donors, in front of your board, in front of your volunteers, all, all the people that you have to facilitate in order to make this organization work, if that person is contrived, if that's a version that you're putting out there of yourself in order to make it look like you're this giving, caring person, people aren't stupid. They're not stupid. People and you not. really, and I think this, this can apply in, in any you know, leadership area. Um, you gotta, you gotta live it, right? Yeah. I just think that um, once you find a, 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 a job that you can live and it becomes your passion, um, you know, I give tours of the house. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I'm not kidding. I, I love giving tours, and what, pe what the feedback that people give me is that, um, gosh, your passion just comes out in, in, in the way you present what it is that you do. And it's because I live it every, you know, every day. Yeah, it's, you, you do live it. Um, and that, I know that's the authentic you and that's what makes you a special leader and, and really, you're in the right place, man. Like, I, I don't know if I you feel that way, but you are, you belong exactly where you are. I know a few professionals in my life and I won't name other names. And I feel this is a credit to me because I've surrounded myself sure. with people that sure. are incredible and that includes you as well. But I know a lot of individuals where I look at them and go, shit, like, <laughs> you, there is no better person to be exactly where you are right now in that uh. position. Right, and you're one of those people, and and a number of other people that I know are, fit that spot. And it's kind of like you look at that situation and you go, "The world is right right now." You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's it's really really cool to to see that. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, fitting those puzzle pieces together. I mean, that's what we're trying to do here, right? When you look at an organization over the lifetime of the organization, and you see all the moving parts that left and came and left and came, the goal isn't to just keep moving that jigsaw puzzle around, the goal is to find those right pieces. You're absolutely right. You know, and it's so cool to see when it actually happens and an organization can thrive and really be helping. And so going back real quick, and then I, I want to tie back to the, this whole helping thing. Going back real quick, just to wrap up the weight loss journey, running for you, man, you are passionate about it. 
I see it yeah. when I when I speak to you. I see it on, on your social media. I, I give you a lot of credit because I'm a I, I'm a person that can't stand running, and I know it would benefit <laughs> me. But to see the journey over the time I've known you, and I didn't see you at the beginning of this running journey, but sort of halfway through, and then to see you last month run the New York Marathon. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Holy crap! If I do say so myself. Now it's um, you know. It's just something that um, that has become, again, part of me. And, and the New York City Marathon was incredible in so many ways. But again, it just it allowed me to join two tremendous passions, two pieces of my life that um, came, came, you know, converged. In that, I used the marathon and my my first full length marathon uh, to raise money for RMHC, to raise awareness for RMHC. So it was a win in so many ways but um i can't get enough of it and Mm -hmm. again sometimes i think for my staff especially in the beginning they took a step back and they were like who is this guy yeah um i oftentimes will do that i'll just take a step back and say i never thought in a million years um that i would be that into it yeah Um, but it's just has become a tremendous well you know this goes back to what i said before about uh and I've, i've talked about this before but I'm 40 now. I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago. And I think it really, I I started at about 30, 31 on this really transformational journey where I really wanted to change the person that I was because he wasn't cutting it anymore. And so it was about 35, 34, 35, where I was like, yeah, this guy right now, this feels, this feels good. This feels like me. And ever since then, it's like living in my own skin has been so much more comfortable than for the past 35 years combined. In that same respect, I was doing my research for this interview. And in doing this research, I read previous interviews. I read articles that were written about you. And I watched a couple of interviews that you had done. And I don't recognize it. And I'm not talking about from the physical standpoint. Man. <laughs> yeah, Yes, it was a heavier version of you. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the Matt that I know now. Yeah. It's, it's, it sounds like a different person. There's a different um, vibe surrounding you. You know, when I speak to you about running, it's part of your life. That right. wasn't part of that. You hadn't found that passion yet. Right. And I think that it all sort of converges into, into one, again, I keep using the word transformation, but it really is, is true, you know. When you lose 130 pounds, that combined with the, the growth of this organization and combined with my realization that um, the, uh, the, the level of trust at the board level and what it is that we were doing, um, it all creates a new persona, a new level of confidence. Yeah. Um, and then you start putting that out there and you see continued growth. So really, um, it's not just physical. It's, it's, it's in a bunch of different yeah. areas. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's unbelievable. I cringe when I think of some of those videos that are out there. <laughs> Don't Google me, please. <laughs> uh, but it's it's the same way for everybody. I, yeah. I I always talk about one of my heroes in communications is is Howard Stern, and his show. And a lot of people hear Howard Stern and they think, oh, you know, no, there's yeah, naked yeah. girls running around. Whatever. <laughs> that's not what his show is anymore. He has become one of the greatest interviewers on the planet. Sure, right, and so. When you hear him talk about himself back in the day, he cringes. He can't listen to his old shows, right? And so I think that's that's true for a lot of us that have gone through transformations, and that's that's very healthy. 
you know, right. although we, we should, you know, stand behind what we've done in the past. Um, it's very healthy to look back and, and cringe at something that you did because you know that you've grown since then. You're in a different spot. You're in a different spot. Yeah. And that's, that's a good thing, man. So I want to hop now to the level of leadership that you've attained. So this is really interesting to me. And I want to give a shout out to a colleague of mine, Mark Cordone. He runs something called the Joy Revolution, which is a uh, coaching platform. And I actually have a little bit of involvement now in the Joy Revolution. I'm one of the coaches on there. And in working with Mark to learn more about the Joy Revolution and what it's about, he put me through some assessments and evaluations to kind of show me what this this platform could teach me about myself. And so I went through something, a leadership evaluation assessment, and it was so cool because it sort of shows the different levels of the psyche and where I fell really heavily. It was, I was like off the charts with these numbers was in my servant leadership. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy for me to look at another leader that sort of falls in that same vein and say, yeah, you're, you're on that same path. So servant leadership, man, to me, it's, it's so cool because, you know, in, in certain ways, we're not thinking about ourselves all the time, which is sometimes bad, you know, because we have to focus on ourselves too a little bit. But servant leadership, to me, creates the biggest amount of change. And so I feel that you fall into that vein very much. And I want to know if you agree with that and if you've sort of tailored your leadership model around that. Yeah, I think that that go, you know, really goes back to the the essence of that that recipe as it relates to to what it is that I do. I am in a an awesome role if, uh, and I never take that for granted, right? I, I think that that's something that's really important. Um, I serve at the pleasure of, of a board of directors, but I really serve at the pleasure of, of the entire team. Um, going back to, the, to one of the things that I talked about earlier, you can't be a leader if you don't have anybody following you. Um, so I, that, that's sort of at the core of how I operate. I'm there to help make you uh, the, the best you can be, whether it's at your job, um, whether it's at um, serving our families, wh whatever it might be, that's really kind of my role. Yeah. So a lot of um, my style and leadership doesn't focus around those pieces you were talking about earlier, being a boss and being a manager. Um, it more focuses on helping people see their strengths and see their weaknesses. I do a lot of coaching, a lot of talking with people about, uh, you know, What's at the higher level? What are you trying to accomplish? And then how do we get there? Uh, sometimes in a really creative way. Yeah. Uh, but that's at the core of it. It's I'm, I'm there to serve an organization. I'm there to serve a board. I'm there to serve um, donors, staff. That's yep. really what it's all about for yep. me. Never take it for granted. Never, never be so full of yourself that, um, uh, that it gets in the way. Yeah. And and to piggyback on that, I want to ask you a question. I don't typically talk about this in terms of leadership or um, or business, but I think it's important to ask you this. Does your faith have anything to do with 
that type of leadership, that attitude that you have, that servant leadership? So I think that faith has a lot to do with it and growing up in a home um, that was very faith-based mm -hmm. has a lot to do with it. So I just find that um, there are several things in my life that anchor me as an individual. Obviously, RMHC is one of them. Obviously, my family is one of them. Um, but that faith piece has always been something that's really important to me. So it's yeah. something that really um, tends to ground me um, in what it is that I do every day. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's important for leaders or potential leaders to understand. I hear a lot of, of talk sometimes that upsets me a little bit because it's not about people not having faith because I, I don't really um, care what other people think in, in terms of you know their, their own faith and, and their beliefs. But you specifically working at RMH, a place where people sometimes have to rely on faith. People that are in that house have to rely on faith. And I'm not talking about faith in terms of believing in someone or, or something. I'm talking about that moment where you just get down on your knees and, and you just need something to happen for you. And so leadership, part of leadership for me specifically, is about this belief that I can make something happen. And so what makes that happen? I don't know. That That's all in your own personal beliefs. But that belief that I can create change and make something happen no matter what the circumstances, that that blind faith, that's important to have as a leader. you know. And, and for some people, that's fueled by their religion. And for some people, that's just a belief in themselves. But if you don't have that, you can never transcend to the other side. You can never accomplish something that you that you maybe at one point believed that you couldn't accomplish. No, it's true. And it is that anchor for me. And I think that so much of what I do is is relationship-based. Yeah. And I think that um, that area, the faith-based area of my life, is no different. It's, it's my relationship with God. It's my relationship with the organization. It's my relationship with my spouse and my yep. family. And um, so that's really at the core of, of how I look at life yeah. in general. Yeah. So we, we talked about balance before before we wrap it up, uh, and I want to touch on this because this is so important to me. We talked about a few moments in your life that were these big moments, these spark moments. And for me, I always mention that we need to be very conscious of these spark moments in our life that if we kind of ignore them and let them pass by, we may not be able to seize an opportunity. With that, is this thing that I like to call the balance phenomenon, which is you find these spark moments, you take advantage of them, and you've kind of built this sort of pseudo leadership model for yourself, but sometimes it's a lot. Sometimes it's too much to manage everything at the same time. And so that's where balance comes into play. For me, I always say that I had leadership in, in so many different aspects of my life when I really tried. But it was so much to manage, and it wasn't until the day that I just sort of understood that balancing them was the key to being my best version of a leader. So you're in the same boat, man. I mean, yeah. you're a husband. You're a yeah. dad. Yeah. You're a CEO. So we're tied on, on all those levels there. Yeah. And then you have your personal stuff. I have my personal stuff. We all carry as human beings our stuff that we go through every day. How important is balance to you? Gosh, I think that um, I look at it in a number of different ways. I look at it sometimes in a very um, pragmatic, almost cyclical way. 
Um, I sometimes have to, unfortunately, look at it in, in, in a monthly, a daily, a weekly way. Um, but it's so important, and I think you, you have to recognize as a leader that one of the things you have to deal with is capacity issues, right? I'm only one person, you're only one person, and you can't do it all, uh, but you have to recognize when you're at capacity. And I think that then it becomes how you tell your story. Um, I'm very much at capacity almost all the time, yeah. right? Whether it's family, whether it's, um, whether it's RMHC. How do I tell that story? Um, I, you know, I found in recent, in recent years, I, I, can, I can tell that story, gosh, I'm so busy, George. Oh yeah. my gosh, I got so much going on. Um, or I can tell that, you know, which, which can sometimes relate to you, well, yeah. that's too busy for me. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've sometimes found as opposed to, George, life is good. Yeah. I'm going here and I'm going there and I'm going everywhere. I have an amazing life. Yeah. So I, I think that's all, that's all kind of part of finding that balance, not just for me and that self-care piece, but finding the balance in telling your story and what you're putting out there. That balance is, is so important to leadership yeah. and surrounding yourself with people that value that balance and can help you maintain and it. And sometimes it is a, it's, it's daily decisions. And yeah. it really is decisions. You know, um, what's most important that day? Well, last year, that event was most important. Yeah. Um, this year, my daughter's recital is on the same night, and yeah. that's important. Yeah. So you know what I mean? It's just, it's, you, 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 there's a lot of give and take. Well, let's look at that today, man, uh, in terms of, of fatherhood, right? Uh, I think we both <laughs> fell into the situation today. Yeah. We both fell into the situation. So we had a a planned uh, meeting for 11 o'clock to go live at 11.30 and record this thing, and I got a text this morning, <laughs> you had a childcare issue, can I bring my two daughters? Of course you could bring your They're two daughters. Here. Because guess what? <laughs> I'm filming something at 4.30 today, yeah, yeah. and I had a child care issue, and now my kids have to be here later today while I'm filming that. And guess what? This is what we and do. the reality is that that text is a perfect example. Um, you have to come to a place in your leadership style where you understand what the priorities are, um, but then you also have to understand that Everyone else has a life, and they understand those priorities yes. as well. So, um, whereas in another in another version of my leadership style, that would have been just me figuring it out, or me canceling, or me. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, instead, it was nope. George has got kids. George is going to understand, and we're going to figure yep. this out. That's it, man. And we surround ourselves with other people and like your ourselves. Answer and your was, why. Matt, don't worry. It's all about the balance. It's all about the balance. So it That's it. full circle. <laughs> That's a great way to, to lead into the big three. So the big three, Matt, is your top three. So I'm going to list a few things. Yeah. Yep, You're yep. going to blurt out your top three for each item that I list. <laughs> Ready? You bet. Top three moments at Ronald McDonald House. Oh, gosh. It would have to be the, um, the, the project design piece was um, was one of them. Um, it, was a, it was a really, really growth opportunity for us. Um, I think when I was promoted to executive director, it was really one of uh, the, the huge things. Um, and believe it or not, we, we are a, a, a healthy organization. A lot of wonderful things happen where we, um, where we live. Um, but the reality is another... Um, 
another top moment was that the first time I was involved with a family and we, and we uh, lost a little girl. Um, and that might sound weird, right? But it, it, it just it, it really helped me to understand that um, there's such brevity behind what it is that we are doing. Yep. And that experience um, changed me yeah. in just a significant way. Yeah. Top three most terrifying moments of your life. <laughs> this isn't heavy or anything. Oh, gosh. <laughs> not heavy at all. Um, I think the top three moments when I, when I had my first, and he's now 16, that was a terrifying <laughs> um, moment for me. Um, I think top three uh, was when I uh, was on my second and I got laid off from work and I was out of work for nine months um, and didn't know what I was going to how I was going to do it. Yeah. Um, and again, I know I keep going back to being made the leader of this tremendous organization, but that really um, was, was, was it for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it, you know, it's interesting when you look at the type of leader that you are, and I ask you a question like that, and you don't mention stuff that was personally, I, I want to say, um, would very personally just to you affect you like mm -hmm. your accident right, right? Uh, although i'm sure very terrifying but everything you mention is about your kids and other people so yeah. you know i appreciate yeah. that that's no, very cool no, no. um top that, three that yeah. answer could be you know top five top ten sure you know what I mean? sure sure so. top three most gratifying moments in your life most gratifying moments um you know i think for me, um, I find a tremendous amount of gratitude in getting up as, as part of my worship team and, and just uh, uh, ministering to people and, and performing and using those gifts as, as opportunities to, to help others see that, that, that piece of faith that's so important to me. Yep. Um, I think getting to go to RMHC every day is, is really the, the gratitude there for, for what I'm able to do, but also for the role that I play in helping folks feel that same gratitude um, for, for what they're doing for our organization is really, um, is really key. Yep. And I think for, for me, um, again, gratitude probably as we bring this full circle to the, to the team, the most gratifying piece is that, yep. that team that I built because yep. they really, um, they make me look good every day. Yeah. I wouldn't be who I am without them. Love it. Top three, we talked about spark moments, those moments in your life where you realize there's just something is about to change. Top three spark moments in your life. That accident is number one. Yeah. So on, in, in that question, there you go. Um, without a doubt, we, um, we go to that moment where I was in the middle of the street um, on that last night of vacation. Yeah. Um, I think other other spark moments have been um, uh, m mostly centered around RMHC as it relates to just my my journey there and, and mm -hmm. coming up as as a leader there, um, and you know, the, the the first spark moment I could probably remember is when I realized I couldn't um, I could not live without my wife, and I had to marry her. Yeah, I know that sounds very cool. Perhaps cheesy or corny. Very um, cool. Definitely spark moment. Top three failures. Um, that's a hard thing to talk about as a leader. You know, we talked about recognizing yeah. um, 
your, your, your failures. Um, I am one that's not afraid to admit when I'm wrong, so I'm wrong a lot. I think um, for me, my top three failures would be um, making some, some mistakes in my personal life, not recognizing um, some of the habits that, that anchored me before I was healthy. Um, there, was, there was a lot of failure in sure. my life um, before, before that time. Um, I think rec um, taking some risks at work and, and not seeing them them work out mm -hmm. um, those those are, those are at the top of the um, top of the list um, and I think my 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 ultimate my my probably my biggest failure would be not doing um, this weight loss journey and and that self care piece earlier earlier yeah in my life yeah last one. And I'm gonna I'm gonna change this a little. I had accomplishments. I'm gonna I'm gonna say work accomplishments because I think we've gone over some of your personal accomplishments. So top yeah. three work accomplishments. Um, really becoming RMHC, the, the the chapter is certainly a huge accomplishment. Um, I think that um, starting a campaign to build another house in Suffolk County is huge for us, and I think part of Part of the growth journey of the organization and one of the turning points for us that really put us on the map was that project design piece yeah it was yeah. just it was that big huge yeah. so i want to mention a couple of things before we wrap up we talked about all the ways you can volunteer if you need any further guidance on volunteering who can they reach out to so we have a website it's rmhcnym um, there's a lot of information there where folks can figure out what how they can get involved. Um, we always say there's something for everyone. So whether it's coming to cook like you did or bake or volunteer for a shift during the week, um, whether it be driving or reception or hospitality, uh, th there really is something for everybody. So that, that website's the place where I usually yeah. send folks to, to get started. Otherwise, give, give us a call. Yeah. We're there. Yep. New and exciting stuff going on. You're on a campaign to build that Stony Brook house, we right? We are in a campaign to get that done. We are in the silent phase of that campaign looking for leadership gifts um, to start that house. We're at almost $11 million of a, a $30 million campaign, yep. which is a lot of money to raise. Yes. Um, so that's, that's really where we're headed. So anybody involved in corporate giving, anybody in leadership that is looking to change the game, anybody who is looking to take their organization and do something meaningful with it, reach out to RMHNYM and get involved because it's so important to get a house on that campus as well because I've seen the things that the New Hyde Park house has done on the Cohen's campus and we need more of these. We need more of these. And yeah. Matt mentioned it. I'll, I'll go into a little bit of detail, but the, the Long Island house, right? So it was Ronald McDonald House of Long Island, mm -hmm. which was an individual house, is now a regional chapter, which includes the two rooms in, at Stony Brook? Um, we're just just building our second at the NICU. Two, two yeah. rooms at Stony Brook. We help to manage really the McDonald's relationship and the McDonald's fundraising in this region. So we're able to help them with grants that, that go to their general operating through that McDonald's. Um, gotcha facilitated giving. Very cool. Matt, 
I'm tearing up my notes. Hey. You know what this means? Yes. Awesome. Means we, means we did good. Awesome. Matt, thank, thank you. you for being here. So appreciate you, I appreciate Jordan. it, my friend. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Can't wait for next week's episode, guys. See you later. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.